Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. You know, we hear a lot of wonderful feedback from uh, you listeners, and sadly, we don't always have the time to uh, to call the robot up to the desk and actually go through uh, any of it, um, in, in part because we're increasingly busy with the, with the Stuff to Blow Your Mind thing, in part because of ice storms crippling the city and, <laughs> and what have you. But uh, so once again, we wanted to take uh, an opportunity to devote one episode to just uh, conversing with you, the listeners, uh, you, the readers, etc., and, uh, and and sharing some of your thoughts on topics that we've uh, we've recently touched on. Yeah, so it's about high time that we got our house in order, and we have a bevy of feedback that we want to read because we think it's really interesting. And uh, what should we kick it off with? We have a couple of themes. Oh, well, I really uh, like this uh, one on reincarnation. Uh, so let's call the robot over, and I'll read you what John had to say. John says, I listened with interest to your recent thoughts on reincarnation, and I was struck with the thought that the ideal example of reincarnation with persisting memories of a past life would be the Dalai Lama. I think, uh, uh, maybe to be corrected, that when a Lama dies, the search for the child who contains the spirit of the leader begins, and there are tests to prove that they have found the correct youth. I think these include tests to check for signs of a reincarnated spirit. Uh, does anyone know of this? And I'll take a break and say, yes, this is actually the Dalai Lama uh, situation is a, is a really excellent example of, uh, of reincarnation uh, worldview uh, in effect. And, uh, and, uh, and to the point where we really should have mentioned it in the podcast uh, because it's so strong. Um, anyway, John continues, um, I, I don't know where I read this. I also enjoyed your recent uh, podcast about Stonehenge, as I have visited this and other monuments in England, as that is where I live. I prefer uh, Avebury Circle, uh, as it is large in diameter, if not in size of stones, and the different rings and ditches that uh, even encompass the village, and their position in relation to other barrows and earthworks locally give a much more impressive uh, vision than uh, of those who devised and built these monuments. At Avebury, you can get amongst the stones and walk the ditches, allowing a more connected feeling with the whole area. These monuments uh, need to be seen topographically to really impress with the relation to the land and what else it contains. Simply looking at a picture only gives you a very small part of what they are. Thanks for keeping my truck driving night full of interesting thoughts. Look forward to future shows. John. All right. Well, so that first part about the Dalai Lama, I do remember seeing a film in which I believe Keanu Reeves starred. <laughs> do you know which one I'm the talking Matrix? about? No. The uh, Matrix Dalai Lama. Uh, I no. I remember. It, it, and it uh, documented um, the search for the Lama, and they were giving him some of the tests. Do you recall any tests? They're administered. I, I do not. I remember seeing the documentaries, uh, or one documentary in particular about the, the about the, looking for the the llama, uh, looking for the, you know, the 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 chosen youth uh, that would uh, would have the spirit of the llama. But um, but I don't recall the details of it offhand. And in terms of the Stonehenge information that uh, John had given us, which was really great, I wanted to read an email from Diane who says, I love the Stonehenge episodes because they reminded me of a project I did when I was in fourth grade. I had a great teacher who did a Stonehenge project where we created stones out of modeling clay and then had to transport them one by one across the table by rolling them on pencils. Once the stone was off the last pencil, it was moved to the front and repeated across the table. It was time-consuming but fun and was a cool project to show what sort of work went into cutting and transporting the stones. Stuck with me for 20 years. What a great 
project for for kids oh, to indeed. do. I think um, she says she's been a longtime fan and she's been meaning to write and suggest a future show. And she said that she became involved with a nonprofit called the Cancer Research Institute. And she said that cancer immunotherapy is a cool field of research and treatment for cancer that uses the immune system to fight cancer and has really started to take off in the last couple of years. So she suggested that as an episode, and that seems like great, fertile terrain for us. And I appreciate your uh, suggestion there, Diane. Yeah, yeah, we, we could stand to do uh, a few more sort of health-centric uh, episodes in the future. Um, space is another area I want to get back to. So if anyone out there has specific requests for space-related Stuff to blow your mind. Content. Uh, do hit us up with those uh, those suggestions because sometimes it's kind of difficult looking at at space or looking at health because I feel like with stuff to blow your mind we, we kind of have that uh, that caveat that it needs to it needs to really like shake you it needs to really awe you in some way shape or form. But uh, so if you have any ideas that might lead to a sober stoner moment that yes, you have to do exactly. with space, let us know. All right, uh, here's another uh, bit of listener mail. Uh, thank you, Robot. This one comes to us from Tracy. Tracy says, I absolutely love your podcast. I love your topics, but almost more than that, I love your chemistry. You play off each other really well, and your interaction never slides into corny banter. Uh, I love your inventive metaphors. Uh, the intensive research you do is evident from your solid grasp of the information you present. You rarely stumble in your knowledge, and to top it all off, both have voices made for radio with no annoying vocal tics. Uh, you post nothing but fascinating articles on your Facebook page, you kick butt. I uh, just wanted uh, you to know uh, you have a huge fan in Miami. If you ever find yourself in South Florida, I hope Miami's Vice City Rollers, the roller derby team I volunteer with, is playing. I'll give you comp tickets. Well, thank you, Tracy. Indeed, if we're ever in, uh, in, in uh, South Florida, we may have to look you up. Indeed, we will. And that just reminded me of the uh, roller derby microbiome episode uh, we yes. did in which they looked at roller derby teams and how they are swapping microbiomes and how interesting that is. And, Tracy, that is really kind. Um, I do have to say, though, I think that both of us have a couple of malapropisms in which we butcher language. And that is an episode which will be forthcoming at some point um, because it's really interesting about how your brain that listens and your brain that is anticipating speech, they have to work in tandem. And a lot of these malapropisms um, result from that sort of eh, little disconnects that happen when they're trying to do this bifurcated action. Yeah, and I think I've said before, I feel like I have very much have a, a writer-reader brain, mm-hmm. and uh, and therefore when I'm speaking, I often uh, fall into various traps. Uh, I, I guess I've gotten better at it over the years, but still, uh, not all the traps have been marked and, uh, and illuminated. All right, the next one comes from Richard, and he says, I love stuff to blow your mind. I listen while working out at the gym, and as a high school science teacher, I enjoy bringing the program into my classroom. Good job, and thank you. I fear you may be incorrect on hibernation. Uh, I believe there's a episode, a republished episode in January that he's referring to. He says, let me do this in two parts. Your recent discussion of hibernation violates a basic principle of physics and engineering, the law of squares and cubes, less formally the relationship of surface area to volume. This universal principle deserves a separate treatment on your program. And to make it less technical and more podcast friendly, I bring to your attention that virtually all monster movies get it wrong. For a summary of why, read the great biologist J.B.S. Haldane's essay on being the right size. The law of squares and cubes can explain numerous physical and biological phenomena. This brings us to point two. 
While it is true that ground squirrels can reduce their core temperature sufficiently to go into a state of, su- of suspended animation, larger animals like bears may lower their set point slightly but cannot radiate enough body heat to get a truly suspended state. They're easily aroused even during winter rest, although I do not suggest you try the experiment for rather obvious reasons. By the way, you can extend this analysis to demonstrate that large dinosaurs probably approached warm-bloodedness even without internal constancy. If you want a good summary on the issue and its specific relation to hibernation, there's a helpful lecture by Stephen Stearns from his Yale course on evolution and ecology. So I just want to say thank you, Richard, so much. Um, I do think that that probably deserves its own upcoming episode because we like to get into this topic a lot. Hibernation, mm-hmm. suspended animation, uh, what we can learn from hibernation, how we could apply it to humans uh, either through emergency situations or even through uh, space travel. Now, I know that we have uh, discussed the uh, morphological limits of gigantism before, particularly in terms of, uh, of say, Godzilla and King Kong. But and Barbie. Was, and Barbie, yes. That was a separate uh, separate episode. But, uh, but we have touched on those topics before. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more listener mail on a number of fascinating topics. All right, we're back. Let's take some more feedback and uh, get into it. All right, this one comes to us from Valerie. Valerie says, I just finished up your episode on night janitors. It made me feel much less lame for needing nine hours of sleep to feel good now. I have always fallen asleep uh, anywhere if I am tired, in loud rooms, standing up in a boat, and other odd places. Uh, Whenever I do anything that would loosen my inhibitions, like drink, all I want to do is take a nap. Turns out most of my inhibitions are how inappropriate it is to sleep all the time. From now on, I am going to imagine I have very demanding night janitors, and we are waiting at the doors, being like, can you hurry up in there? We have a job to do. Uh, Ready to take advantage of my weakened state to start work early. Also, I was wondering if there is anything to this idea of animals getting a taste for humans. I feel like I hear that all the time. I wonder uh, if it is like when I finally have a chance to try something and it's especially tasty, uh, like when I uh, got a taste for starfruit. I also think about one group of orcas that was on a documentary I watched that were really into sea urchins. Uh, Even though they are uh, much harder to to eat and harder to get than other food, could we be a delicacy of the animal world? Uh, Thought it might be interesting to hear a podcast on animals becoming man-eaters after getting that first taste. Warm regards, Valerie in Austin, Texas. P.S. You guys are great. Well, I, I now I want to do an episode on man eaters. That sounds perfect. Well, you know, I thought this is so timely because the other night uh, my daughter asked. She gets to ask one question before she goes to bed, and that's her way to. She's always trying to distract us from uh-huh. actually getting her to sleep. So that's the way that we try to manage that. And so her question was, "Do do alligators eat people?" And so my answer was, because I try to be as, as honest as possible without, right. like, going into some weird territory. And I said, well, no, they don't, but I'm sure it has happened by accident. <laughs> and then that was, told, I shouldn't have even said that, because then she was like, when, who, who what happened? And uh, I thought, oh, man, that's, it's true. It's It has happened by accident, and sometimes um, people have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And she went on to ask, like, do you think that alligators like the taste of humans? Huh. 
Well, there you go. I think we'll definitely have to do an episode on that. And I also have to say that we were dangerously close to talking about cannibalism. I just felt huh. it. I felt like, God, the next question is going to be, do humans eat other humans? So she waits till you're just completely um, low on energy mm-hmm. right at bedtime. That's when she, she starts throwing out questions about cannibalism. And- oh, yeah. Why, why do people kill each other? <laughs> why do people die? I mean, this, yeah, she throws out the heavy stuff. Oh, man. We have another email here from Kevin, and he's talking about the night janitors, which is, again, this episode that dealt with this idea of all these toxic byproducts that our brains make and how do we usher them out of our system. Um, that has long been a mystery, but we have new information that this happens when we sleep and only when we sleep. Uh, Kevin says, I have an interesting study I conducted last semester on my own. I was 19 at the time. I read about polyphasic sleeping, where you can reduce average sleep to minimal hours, sometimes two a day. I tried it and reduced my average from about eight hours to five hours for 30 consecutive days. I would do three and a half hours at night and three equally spaced naps during the day. During this time, I had lucid dreams for the first time, which I still seldom have to this day, and had felt a new feeling of euphoria midway through. I found it was very well possible, but I stopped when my neighbor, who participated in 12 actual sleep studies, said I was adapting to become an insomniac. This leads me to question whether we can adapt to a large amount of waste in our brains, or does maybe the night janitor become more efficient? Efficient. Good question. Also, thank you for your exciting and informational discussions. They have changed my intellectual life for the better. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Well, here's another little bit uh, on sleep. This one comes to us from Anne. Anne says, Dear Julian Robert, during college, I had a lot of trouble with insomnia. I was prescribed Ambien my senior year. I made the mistake multiple times of taking it, but not immediately lying down and going to bed, which is recommended. This led to some interesting Internet comments. Uh, the biggest problem I had was sleep cooking. I didn't just sleep... Uh, eat whatever snacks were in my apartment. I somehow felt the need to make ramen noodles or SpaghettiOs or on one scary occasion to cook a full meal of pasta. I boiled a pot of water, cooked the noodles, cooked the sauce, drained the pasta, poured the pasta and sauce (laughs) onto a plate, covered them with Parmesan cheese, ate the whole plate of food, and then... (laughs) And then left the empty plate on the floor by my bed. I woke up next morning uh, boggled by the plate. I am relieved to say I never left the stove on. I quit taking Ambien and several years later quit drinking entirely. Sobriety has had a huge impact on my sleep quality and worked much better than Ambien for me. Uh, I learned that while alcohol can make you fall asleep, pass out, the sleep you get isn't restful or restorative sleep. It reduces REM sleep, uh, but people often think they're sleeping better because they fall asleep sooner. All my best, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, I have to second that. Since I uh, quit drinking a year and a half, nearing two years ago, I will say that my sleep has been so much better. And now I'm hungry for a plate of spaghetti. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, we've mentioned, uh, Ambien before and, and it's, uh, the effects it sometimes has on people. I do want to, want to go ahead and, and throw out, though, that if, you know, let, let your doctor, your trusted doctor, advise you on what you should and shouldn't take and use that as your sort of call point uh, rather than, uh, you know, any kind of horror stories you've heard about one medication or another. Well, yeah, because some things can affect another person in an entirely different way. So, Yeah, because I've encountered people before who desperately needed some help sleeping, at least for like a small portion of, of, of their time. And uh, and they were scared to even try something because they'd heard somebody knew somebody who'd heard about somebody yeah. who, uh, you know, ate a bunch of cigarettes while on Ambien or something. Yeah. Well, and if you've ever suffered from insomnia and you know that point in the night where you're like, man, I wish someone would just hit me over the head with a pan and knock me out. You know that that's when you're in a desperate place and you need some help. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for sharing that with us, Anne. 
All right, the next one has to do with leeches. We recently did a podcast episode about leeches and how they've sort of redeemed themselves in the medical community. And this is from Ashley. She says, I recently listened to the podcast about leeches. I thought you might be interested in my experience with them. I'm a veterinary technician at a large specialty veterinary practice, and we currently have a small colony of leeches that are being used to treat a couple of feline patients. These two kitties have a condition called polycythemia vera, in which their bodies make too many red blood cells. This results in very thick, sludgy blood that can lead to seizures, ataxia, blindness, and other neurological symptoms. There are medications that decrease red blood cell production, but the side effects aren't good. One other treatment is bloodletting every week, but one of these cats is not very friendly, which makes drawing a large amount of blood from her very difficult and stressful for her, and I imagine others, um... There's only one study in one cat that leeches have been used on for this condition, but our doctors decided to give it a try. The cat can sit in the owner's lap and have the leeches feed for about 30 minutes and go home. Both cats have had multiple treatments and are doing very well, so it looks like our leech experiment is a success. Thank you for reading, Ashley. P.S. We keep our leeches and fish bowls on a shelf. We learned the hard way that the bowls need to be covered. More than once, leeches rain down on the person using the computer below the shelf they were housed on. That's a little bit nightmaric. Yeah. Just to indeed. create a new word. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just going to wind up here with uh, two quick ones. Uh, this one comes to us from Annie uh, in New Orleans. Annie uh, Annie shares uh, uh, her experiences with uh, dentist dread and dental anxiety, which we talked about in an episode. But then she closes out and says, uh, I listen to a lot of House Stuff Works podcasts, and I love them all for different reasons. Uh, but I've almost started thinking of yours as my mental health cast. I developed some slightly debilitating anxiety and depression problems this last year. For example, my fractured teeth were very likely caused by clenching my teeth in my sleep. After my crowns are in, my dentist is going to make a, a mouth guard to sleep with. Uh, because of your many informative episodes surrounding anxiety, I've decided to seek out professional help in addition to trying things like meditation to quiet the constant screeching of my default mode network. I'm feeling more hopeful uh, for my future happiness than I have in as long as I can remember. You guys are great. Uh, well, that's that's very good to hear. First, I want to say mouth guard. I myself wear a mouth guard uh, when I sleep every night, and it's made a lot of difference for me. So um, definitely stick with that as much as you'll want to spit it out at times. Uh, and, uh, and, and kudos for uh, seeking, uh, you know, professional help to help uh, balance things out. I think that's, you know, that's often the the, the bravest uh, and, and at times the hardest thing you have to do uh, for yourself is, is saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to actually see somebody about this. Indeed. And, you know, I've, I've said this several times, but the episodes that we've covered, the topics, a lot of times I find myself turning to some of the things that, that do help. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was interesting that she brought up the default mode network. Because I really think that that is sometimes the problem with with a lot of what ails me is just trying to quiet that part of the mind. And there's so many different ways to get to that point. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Here's the last one here. This one comes to us from Ashley. Ashley says, hi, Robert and Julie. I'm listening to some of your older podcasts via iTunes and came across Lucid Dreams. During the cast, you mentioned some senses not being activated during dreams and that food isn't usually a part of Lucid Dreams because the taste isn't active. Uh, well, I had a very unusual dream a while back where I was an intergalactic social mixer. I had a conversation at the bar <laughs> with a green jelloish male and drank the most perfect glass of pineapple juice. I've also had a recurring dream where I am at a family reunion type gathering with my children. At some point, I fall out of favor with my family and they want to have me committed 
committed and take out custody on my children. At this point, I take flight like a bird, not Superman. Think of uh, the Wii Fit Chicken game uh, where you flap your arms to fly. I've been having this dream uh, on and off since 2002 prior to uh, Wii Fit, so I don't know why or where this dream came from. Uh, okay, well, that's it. Thanks for keeping me company while I work, study, and take mom breaks. I put myself in a timeout. Love you much, Ashley. Oh, thank you very much, Ashley. I really would like to have a lucid dream about food now. Yes, uh, I, I as well, because I, I don't think I can remember an instance where I had like a, a very taste-centric uh, dream. Yeah, and just to be able to experience that in a lucid way might mm-hmm. be pretty amazing. I don't know. I'm going to put maybe like some sort of sprig of basil in my mouth before I go to sleep. Yeah, maybe yeah, that'll give that trip a try. It. Or, you know, or have someone else like stick basil into your mouth while you're asleep to trigger it. That would be perfectly normal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there you go. We've managed to catch up a little bit on our listener mail. Uh, you guys and gals are always sharing such uh, wonderful thoughts with us about the the topics that we cover. You have wonderful suggestions for future episodes. And uh, we just wanted to, again, take, take time once more to just go through some of these listener mail, catch up, and then uh, start fresh with some new episodes the next week. Indeed. All right. So you want to get in touch with us? You want to get in on this? Well, you can find us in a number of places. StuffToBlowYourMind.com is our main homepage, and that's where you'll find blog posts, videos, all the podcasts, links out to our various social media accounts. Now, our Facebook page, if you just look on Facebook for Stuff to Blow Your Mind, that's where we are. We have a pretty strong following there, and a lot of people get in touch with us uh, via Facebook, and we do read those messages. So bear that in mind. And uh, then there's always an old-fashioned way you can get in touch with us as well. Uh, but before I tell you about that old-fashioned way, I want to talk about YouTube, in particular Mind Stuff Show. If you go there, you will find videos that Robert and I have toiled away on. In fact, I probably have the most jacked-up Marilyn Monroe wig that has ever existed in one of those videos. And you can check that out at Mind Stuff Show at YouTube. In the meantime, you can send us an email at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.